Good morning, everyone. Hope everybody's doing okay this morning. Good to see you all. Uh, let me first say a word of, of thank you for a couple of reasons. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I've got to see this body uh, in particular do a great job of, of serving its community. Two weeks ago, we had our church outside the walls Sunday, uh, and I was very grateful to see uh, all of the things that got done. We got everything done on our list and had a pretty big long list uh, and got to do that alongside uh, a couple other churches here in town. And that's always a joy for me to uh, not only see our crew at work, but to see us at work in the name of Jesus for our community alongside other Bible-believing believers here in town. So thank you for being a part of that, and thank you for us showing in a small way on one Sunday uh, the way that we love our community. And then this past Wednesday, um, this was my fifth time to witness uh, our fall festival, to be a part of that. Uh, Amy did an excellent job at putting everything together, as she always does. A lot of work on the front end. Uh, And then you guys uh, showed up and helped make that an awesome night. it's a great night for us to show love to our community. Uh, I know that we gave out 320 hot dogs because that's how many we made, and they were gone with like 30 minutes left. So there was a lot of people there uh, this past Wednesday night. Um, and it's just a great time to uh, I believe it was Daniel was saying how much fun it was just to see everybody smile and have fun. Uh, and knowing that our church is behind that, uh, seeing people in our, in our church sharing the gospel through that, uh, it's just a great time to see so many people in our church Uh, come together and work, give up their Wednesday evening, uh, give up any Halloween plans they might have had, uh, and come and and serve its community. So thank you for that. Um, Now that we've said thank you, let's talk about hell. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. How's that for a segue? We're going to be in the book of John this morning, John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29, if you want to go ahead and open up your Bible. Um, This is an interesting, kind of a hybrid sermon uh, in between two series. We are doing this kind of to finish up our Don't Go There series. As you could tell, uh, hell is one of those topics that our culture, for sure, uh, doesn't want to go uh, there often. And really, the church, we don't talk about it a ton, uh, just because it is a difficult-to-handle subject, difficult to handle it well, especially. Um, but also, this kind of leads us into our next series, which is Tell the Story, which you see on the screen there behind me. Um, This series we'll be doing for the next three weeks, today and then two more weeks after. Next week, uh, we will be giving you some uh, resources that you can use to help you tell your story uh, to people in your life, to help you share the gospel with people around you. Uh, This is our fall uh, home connection emphasis campaign, Uh, so we will have that stuff to give you next week. Next week is a Connection Sunday, uh, which means that we will only have one combined service at 11. Uh, Sunday school is at the normal times, uh, and then we'll have supper, or not supper. You can stick around for supper if you want to, but we'll have lunch uh, at noon after that. Uh, And so when we're all together, we're going to hand out all this information, and we're going to encourage you to share the gospel. I've been told before uh, by people that I look up to and respect in the world of communication that if you're going to tell people good news, sometimes you need to give them the bad news first. Uh, to show why the good news matters. Uh, Because the good news is just news uh, if you don't know what the negative consequences of a life without that news really are. Uh, And so the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news all on its own, but it's even better when we recognize the bad news of where we would be without the presence of Jesus Christ and his saving sacrifice for our sake. And so this morning, we are going to talk about the idea, the reality of hell. 
through Scripture, through scriptural lens. Many of you may have heard of a piece of literature from many, many, many years ago uh, called Dante's Inferno. It's part of an epic poem uh, called The Divine Comedy by Dante. Uh, And within this epic poem, he, uh, in the Inferno section, he talks about the nine circles of hell. The first circle is uh, what he calls limbo, which is where the virtuous pagans end up. This would be like Plato and Aristotle, good people who had a good impact on the world but weren't believers. Uh, and it's, it's not a bad place, but it's not a great place either. Uh, and then each circle gets progressively worse until you get to circle nine, where it's, it's called treachery is that one. And it's the worst of the worst, uh, and they are buried in ice for eternity. Um, stuck, depending on how evil their deeds were, deeper and deeper. And like this, you can imagine a big circle, concentric circles of ice. Um, So that kind of flies in the face of the whole fiery thing that we normally think about hell. But there's a lot of things in Dante's Inferno uh, that people, when we think about hell, we think about it through that lens. But I want to submit to you that somewhere between circle one and circle nine, is cleaning up your kid's puke at three o'clock in the morning. Can I get an amen from any parents out there? That happened to us this past Sunday night, Monday morning. Um, Corbin and Cannon, all of us got like a real quick stomach bug, you know, one of those that's gone in like 12 hours. Uh, we got it Sunday. I had kicked it by Monday at lunch, but in between it wasn't, it wasn't great, right? It wasn't fun. And when you hear through the monitor the, and then the crying, you're like, oh no, my night just got a lot more interesting, right? Uh, and, and, you know, there's, there's nothing that says the desperation of parenthood better than some guy out on his, on his driveway, out back behind his garage at 3 o'clock in the morning, hosing down sheets, right? Because that's, that's what I look like 3 o'clock Monday morning. Um, it's not a fun experience. It seems kind of hellish in a way. But in a way, even by me using that language to describe something that's really not hellish at all, it kind of shows us what we've done with the idea of hell in our culture. And Dante's Inferno is part of that, that we've turned it into something that it's not, that it's a place that we want our enemies to go, uh, that it's a place that like bad guys in movies will always say, I'll see you there, right? As if it's a big party, uh, you know, we will actually see people. Uh, if it's this destination where the bad people go and they can just, you know, live it up. And there's even movies and pop culture that depict it in that fashion. And so hell is kind of minimized in a way. And then it's kind of turned into, and Dante's Inferno would be one of the perfect examples. It's kind of turned into where the, the, the people who do bad stuff go there, the people who do good stuff go to heaven. And if you just do enough good stuff, then you end up going to heaven. And if you do bad stuff, you'll go there. And if you do really bad stuff, you're going to have even worse time there. But it misses the whole biblical point of what hell is really all about. Many of our conceptions from hell come from these worldly sources. Now, Dante did get one thing right. Above the gates of hell, as he is in his poem, he is entering through them. It says, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Maybe you have heard that line before. That's where that comes from. Hell exists where hope has expired. And while there's no precise description in Scripture, we certainly have some ideas. And when I say no precise description, I don't mean we, have, we don't have like an exhaustive list of what exactly hell will be like. Martin Luther kind of puts it this way when it comes to the lack of a precise description when it comes to Scripture. He says, what hell is we know not. Only this we know, that there is such a sure and certain place. What hell is, we know not, but this we know, that there is such a sure and certain place. But again, we do have some 
depictions of it from Scripture. In the book of Revelation, especially chapter 20, we see hell described as a lake of fire, an eternal home for the devil and his minions and unrighteous humanity along with them. In Matthew 13, in Jesus' parable of the wheat and tares, Jesus speaks of a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 25, 25, when Jesus is speaking about the sheep and the goats, depending on how we treat the least of these, he talks about how the goats will be doomed to punishment and the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In Matthew 22, Matthew evidently likes to talk about hell a lot. He says, Jesus says that the unrighteous will be cast into outer, the outer darkness. And so those are just a few examples of scripture, particularly from Jesus, that we see depictions of hell within the words. So we could take from that, like a general sense of hell, that hell is devoid of God. And perhaps that's the worst of all things. Hell is devoid of God, home of all that is evil, eternal torment, and utterly spiritually dark. Again, that comes with the separation from God. And for me anyway, that's specific enough. Uh, That's enough to know that I don't want to go there, and I don't want anybody that I love to end up there. And I want to avoid that and help other people avoid that with everything that is within me. And that brings me to my point for this morning and how it relates to us telling the story of the gospel of Jesus and our story with the gospel through us. And it is the truth that the reality of hell should be fuel for gospel urgency. Like for us as Christians, it should not be some horror story that creates, that helps us shake in our boots. It should not be something that we, that we get scared to talk about or that makes us anxious. We can have assurance in the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and our salvation from that, that, uh, that destiny because of what he has done. But what it should create in us is a healthy fear, a humility, an urgency for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ to go and to tell and to share the good news because we know there is bad news for those who don't follow the good news. We see Jesus talk about this in John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. Let's pray before we read that. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your salvation, your rescue for all of us from the eternal destination of of hell and separation from you. God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to bear the punishment, the wrath that was coming our direction because of our sin so that we don't have to bear it, and the same with death. God, I pray that you would remove distraction from each one of us now. God, that you would draw our hearts and our minds to exactly what you want us to hear and remove my humanity out of the way in the process. So that you might, through your spirit, God, bring transformation in our lives and conviction to have that sense of urgency. God, may we be a people who, recognizing the bad news, share the good news urgently. God, show us how this morning. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. 
the spiritually dead, will hear. This is what we hear from Jesus. That we will hear the truth, the reality of who Jesus is, of what God is doing through him. But make no mistake, it is the dead who are hearing. The spiritually dead, as Jesus says in verse 25, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. This isn't speaking of a literal physical death, those hearing, but speaking instead of a spiritually dead people, which, newsflash, you probably already know this, is all of us without the intervention of Jesus Christ. Christ comes to us in our hopelessness, comes to us when we are unable to save ourselves, when we have realized that we are unable to save ourselves. Without Christ, we are all hellbound, as a truth of Scripture. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and the wages of sin is death. All of us are are death-bound without the intervention of Jesus Christ, and not just a physical death, an eternal death, eternal death in an eternal hell. This is our lot, humanity's lot, apart from the intervention of Jesus Christ into our stories. This is the reality each of us has had to deal with in our own life. And we realize that Jesus gives us through coming and through intervening in our story, through coming to us even while we were sinners, even while we showed enmity towards him, that he came for us, he intervened to give us a choice. Those who have done good, John says, which if you look at it in context, he's not talking about weighing good and bad. Instead, he's talking about hearing the voice of Jesus and responding. Those who have heard the voice of Jesus and responded... They will be raised to eternal life, to resurrection, as John puts it, or as Jesus puts it in the book of John. Jesus, we know, as described later in Scripture, is the first fruits of resurrection, the first one to be resurrected to an eternal life. And, and John, uh, Paul talks about this a lot, Jesus being the first fruits of that resurrection, meaning that we, too, will be able to bear that ourselves, that we, too, will be resurrected when our time comes, that we, too, will be resurrected to eternity and to an eternal life. Each of us has been, is being rescued from death to eternal life. This is, is good news, and we're going to talk more precisely about the gospel and the good news next week, but we can go ahead and celebrate it a little today because I think it's worth celebrating at any moment. The good news is, despite this bad news, especially in light of this bad news, that Jesus has come and resurrected, is resurrecting, like presently within us, us to an abundant, John says that, Jesus says that in John chapter 10, a little bit later in this very book, to an abundant life in the immediate time and to an eternal eternal life in heaven. That is worth celebration. That is worth rejoicing. That is worth, when we recount the bad news, being moved to a sense of gratefulness that would take us to our knees because our lot is not in this eternal separation from Jesus, from God, that John is talking about. Rather, our lot is to be with him for eternity. Each of you who have accepted Jesus as Savior, you have been our being resurrected. Today, you had that moment of justification where your lot, your eternal destiny was changed from death to life. And even now, your body, your members, your spiritual reality is being resurrected in this moment, being sanctified, being turned more into the likeness of Christ every single moment, growing further and further away from where we were and closer to where we are meant to go. 
That is those who have done good or heard Jesus' voice according to the gospel of John. But those who have done evil, who have ignored Jesus' voice, are, are resurrected to judgment, are raised to judgment. The great preacher G.K. Chesterton said it this way about our choice. Hell is God's great compliment to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of human personality. That's a little tongue-in-cheek, by the way. Hell is God's great compliment to the reality of human freedom and to the dignity of human personality. As if hell is dignified in any way. But I want you to hear what Chesterton is saying. What he is saying is, and I've heard it put a different way by another scholar whom I, I can't recall, is that hell is, is God paying his last respects to our free will. Uh, he is saying if you want choice, if you want something else, here you go. I, this is what you have chosen. I will give you the power to choose, but recognize what it is like to choose a life apart from me, an eternity apart from me. And so as Chesterton said, it is God's great tip of the hat to human freedom and dignity to human personality. There are consequences to our choices. Now, this is something that a two-year-old realizes. And if you touch a hot stove, you get burned. Now, they have to test that to learn it. But even a child, even a small child, begins to realize very early on in their life that certain actions have consequences. You do things that you shouldn't, you get punished. You put yourself in a precarious situation, you might have something dangerous happen to you. There are consequences to actions. And so it, it doesn't seem like, even logically, thinking through it through a completely secular mindset, it doesn't really seem that outlandish to think that there would be consequences for a life of evil, does it? I mean, we, we, our, our culture today, we're, we're, we don't want to talk about hell. We don't want to talk about like religion, especially that kind of religion. If we want to talk about religion, it is the, the spiritual you know, uh, blanket that makes you feel wonderful about everything in life and not really help you deal with your inner demons and the sin within you to help cleanse you of that. Not like a real kind of like helping you realize who you are and save you from that. That's not what we want to talk about. But also in our culture, we want anybody who has done wrong, at least according to our cultural morals, Let's blast them on every piece of media available. Let's throw their name out on television, on social media, on the internet. Let's make sure that they get punished for everything that they did and their life is completely wrecked. Like, we have a society that understands justice. It might be a perverted sense of justice, not based on any divine law or moral law or biblical law, but instead based on our own cultural mores to the point that if anybody crosses that line, they're going to get theirs. You see that at work in our culture. And so it's really not even logically, even secularly speaking, a great jump of logic to assume that a life lived evilly, evilly, that a life lived with evil deserves punishment. We make choices against God. If we choose to reject him, there are consequences. Now, the Bible tells us what are the lines that we can and cannot cross. And I believe that speaking through the, new, through the lens of the New Testament, that that line is what you do with Jesus Christ. Whether you accept him, whether you follow him, or whether you reject him. And to reject Christ is to choose hell. Because those, those are really the only two options. It's a life and death decision. And if you reject life, you choose death. 
Now, it's not as if you can say, I, you know, I want this, but I don't want the other. You know, you can't exist in an intermediate state between life and death. If you reject life, if you refuse to eat and drink, your body is going to waste away and die. Your body doesn't have another option. It needs energy. And if you don't, you know, replenish it with energy, then your body will waste away and die. If you don't bring life into yourself, death will be the natural consequence. And the same is true for our spiritual bodies. If we do not turn to the life that we have, have in Jesus, death is what we have chosen. To reject Christ is to choose hell. So let me ask you this morning a question that perhaps we need to ask our church and our culture today, and I mean the church as a whole in the American world. Do you believe there is a hell, a real literal hell? Would you agree with Martin Luther when he says what exactly hell is? We know not, but what we do know is that there is such a sure and certain place. If you say no to that, I'm willing to entertain your idea. But I would say that scripture, at least from my reading of it, appears to be in opposition with you. I would love to hear how you read scripture to say that hell doesn't literally exist because there are so many, not illusions, illusions would be the wrong word. There are so many instances of Jesus describing, of the scripture describing, of revelation describing a real and literal hell separate from God. Scripture appears to be in opposition with you. And then I would ask you, even apart from Scripture, how does justice ever get served if there is no hell? Uh, Again, this is something I think, even apart from Scripture and in the secular world, we can understand in our world today. There is a desire for justice, and there are still some things that we all universally agree on, near universally. I guess you, almost, you can't even really say universally anymore, agree on something, but near universal agreement on if somebody hurts a child, they should be punished. Or if there is some genocidal maniac in the world, like a Hitler or something like that, then that person is universally, almost universally considered as evil, and he should be punished. Like Hitler is kind of still head up, uh, put up as the great example of evil in our world, Right? And so, if that is the case, and you don't believe there is a hell, then where does justice get served? Is it, is it okay with you that people who commit such atrocities end up on top of life and never have to face the consequences? Are you, are you okay living with that? If you are, okay, you know, that, that's, that's one thing. But if there's still something stirring within you, I would submit to you that there is something programmed within your DNA, that there is something inborn within you that says, C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity, this sense, this need of justice that is within all of us, the difference of knowing right and wrong. Now, we don't have it figured out like we need to, right? But there is still this sense in every human group on the world, they have their, their list. This is right and this is wrong. Where does that come from? Where does even the need to have right and wrong come from? Where does the need for justice to be served come from if there is not some great universal standard for what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, what is life and what is death? I would submit to you that any need for justice within you today is a testimony to the reality of what Scripture says about how justice will ultimately be served. If you answer yes to that question, that you do believe there is a hell, then I'm going to assume a couple of things about you. The first thing I'm going to assume about you is that you have ensured your own salvation. If you truly believe that hell is a sure and certain place, in the words of Martin Luther, 
that you have ensured your salvation, that you have asked Jesus, you have repented and asked Jesus to save you, to fill you with his Holy Spirit, to live with you daily for the rest of your time on this planet, and then to guarantee you an eternity in heaven. I'm going to assume you've made that decision if you believe there is such a thing as hell. If not, today's a great day to do it because you know the reality of the bad news. Today's a good day to get to the good news. I'm also going to assume a second thing about you. If you do believe that there is such a sure and certain place as hell, then I'm going to assume you are spending your life, at least in part, ensuring that as many people as possible don't end up there. I'm assuming that you're doing all you can to save others. And if not, like if, if A, you believe there's a hell, B, you believe that Jesus saves from hell, that seems like a simple equation, A plus B equals C, C being you have urgency with the gospel of Jesus to tell people that there is rescue, there is salvation. If there is a problem, if there's an A plus a B and it doesn't equal C, then I would submit that something is wrong with the equation. That maybe you don't love and care for people the way that Scripture says we should. The choice between heaven and hell is yours to make. For those of you who may not have made that choice, again, today is a day you can make it. By the way, this choice has immediate impact, not just after you die. I believe that Christ affects the moment, not just eternity, the abundant life that Jesus talks about. But for us as believers, a question I ask myself a lot, and, and so I hope you hear that as I come at you with this. A question I ask myself a lot is, if hell is such a sure and certain place, why are our hearts not grieved more over this reality? Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and following, we see Jesus look out on the crowds, and you know this story, many of you, you know the words, that he has moved to have compassion on them as he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And then he notes that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. When is the last time? And, and right now would be a, a very good time, right? With everything going on in our world, and it seems like there's something scheduled for Tuesday that a lot of you might care about. With everything going on in our world right now where there seems to be this division in our country, has there ever been a moment, a point, where instead of looking at the other and hating everything that's different about them, that you look on them and you are moved to compassion seeing them as sheep without a shepherd. said it before and I'll say it many times beyond. Andy Stanley puts it this way. We can't expect outsiders to act like insiders what insiders act like outsiders. We can't expect people who don't follow Jesus to act like Jesus. That's our job, okay? It's our job to act like Christ. We are Christians, little Christs. That's what that word actually means. We are the ones who get to follow Jesus. We can't expect anybody else to act differently, because they don't have the Holy Spirit of Jesus within them. We do. We don't have an excuse. Too much is given, much is expected. But those who don't, their lot 
currently, if you believe that there is such a sure and certain place in hell, and that the difference between hell and heaven, the difference between eternal life and eternal death, is what you do, what everyone on this planet does with Jesus Christ, if you believe those two things, then we ought not to be so worried about all the ways that we disagree with the lost in the world, and we should instead be lobbying life preservers to them every chance that we get, preaching the message that you are going the wrong direction, you are lost. I want to show you life and love. I want to show you that there is hope in the person of Jesus Christ, not here's all these political reasons of why I disagree with you, or here's all the worldview things that you have wrong, or here's all the terrible moral decisions that you have ever made in your eternal life and your entire life. What I instead want to show you is that there is hope. His name is Jesus. Please give him an opportunity. That this ought to be our gospel urgency. In Matthew 10, one of, the, one of the problems about when we've divided Scripture into chapters is we stop reading at a particular Scripture or a particular chapter break. But Matthew 9, when Jesus has that, that moment of compassion, seeing the people as sheep without a shepherd, and he tells those who are listening that, uh, that, that, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, he goes on in Matthew 10. That's actually when he sends the 70 out. It's when he sends the disciples out and he gives them power to heal and he, and he, he tells them to go preach and, and explains that whole thing. So Jesus had a response. Like he didn't just want to talk about compassion. He wanted to do something about it. Uh, he, wanted, he looked on the people. He saw their lot. And so he sent all of his resources, which were the people that he had been training in those years that he had been ministering, to go and to give those sheep without a shepherd, a shepherd, the one true shepherd, the one true hope. You see, to love Christ is to love the lost. If you love Jesus, you're going to love what he loves. And to ignore the lost is to ignore Christ, to ignore his call in your life. If we are not willing to do the primary thing that Jesus asked us to do before we left, before he left, to go and make disciples of all nations, if that is not one of our motivating factors in life, how can we truly say that we are following Jesus? If the last command that he gave us we are not willing to follow. To love Christ is to love the lost. To ignore the lost is to ignore Christ. Because of the eternal nature of the consequences of the choice to reject him. But I would also tell you that there is even a temporal consequence. There is such a thing as hell on earth, not to the degree of what hell is actually going to be like, But I believe that just as we experience the first throes of heaven, what Paul calls a citizenship of the kingdom of heaven, just as we begin to experience the already and not yet of what Jesus has done in our life, where we are saved, we live in hope, we live in peace. Hopefully most of the time we sway back and forth because Romans 7, our flesh is still at work, but we ultimately have hope in Jesus in this moment today, just as that is a present reality within those of us who are destined for heaven, who have been saved by Jesus. I believe that it is also a present reality for those who are destined for hell, that the first throes of hell are already being experienced in this life and it comes with sin, and it comes with hunger, and thirst, and destitution, and all of the things that are against what we know to be right, and just, and good, what we know against to be against the word of God, and the truth of God. If hell is separation from God and suffering, then there is hell on earth. Because people are separated from God today, there is suffering on earth today, and it's not near to the extent that it will be. But the first throws are already at work And so we preach the hope of Jesus both eternally and today. 
In Matthew 10, that I've already alluded to a couple of times, Jesus, as he sent the disciples out, he also gave them power to heal affliction. Jesus did that himself. He met immediate needs, even as he preached about an eternal reality. The reality of hell should be fuel for gospel urgency. And this is the most urgent need of any believer. The most urgent call of any of us who follow Jesus. Gospel urgency. And the reason why the good news is urgent is because of this bad news. That we often don't want to talk about because it is truly bad news. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to recognize the opportunity that you have in front of you as holders of the life preservers, of the truth, of the rescue, that you can offer it to those who are headed to utter destruction, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth in the outer darkness, fiery furnace, and eternal lake of fire. Those are all biblical metaphors for hell. For those who are headed that direction, may, me, may we be moved to a sense of urgency that outranks any other urgency in our world today. I've already alluded to the election coming up on, on Tuesday, and I know many of you, especially in this room, have probably already cast your ballot, but there is still a sense of anxiousness in our culture today about what is going to happen in the Senate and in the House. And I get that. That's important. I would never come to you and tell you, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. You need to go out there. You need to vote. You need to vote the way that you believe that Christ is leading you to. Wholly believe that. We should be actively involved in our world. We should be showing what the gospel of Jesus means today, and we should do that in part through the way that we vote. However, I would also argue that it's still second or third or fourth, whatever. It's still at least second in comparison to the gospel of Jesus Christ between life and death. Our culture needs our vote, but it needs our witness a heck of a lot more. Amen? Because that is what will save. Not a politician, not a ballot measure. What will save, and the only thing that will save from the bad news is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a God who loved us enough to come and get us out of this mess that we've created ourselves. You have that within you through the Holy Spirit, and you can choose to share it. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you something that I'm probably going to ask you the next three weeks as well. With whom does God want you to share the good news? Who do you know in your life that could be destined toward the bad news? Is there a sense of urgency for your coworker or your classmate, or your family member, or your mere acquaintance, or even strangers, is there a sense of urgency within you to share the good news? The Holy Spirit is within you. There is somewhere, very deep down. And I wholly believe that God will lead you and give you opportunities to share that good news. During our time of invitation this morning, two invitations. One, if you have never accepted the good news of Jesus Christ, and decided to follow him for the rest of your life and live with him for eternity, I want to tell you what that looks like 
during our time of invitation, or Daniel can do that as well. I will be down here. He will be in the back at the Welcome Center if you would like more privacy back there. Second invitation. For those of you who do believe in Jesus, who do believe that you are heaven-bound because of what he did, whom is he leading you to? To whom is he leading? What name is being laid on your heart right now? And ask God to give that to you during our time of invitation. Write it down. Write it on your, on your heart. Tap it in your phone. Don't forget it. Pray for that person. And then allow God to move you to a point where you can share the good news. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Those are your invitations. Once again, I will be down here to pray with you. The altar will be open. Daniel will be in the back. You can always talk with me after the service as well. Let's pray together, and then Bill and Lynn are going to lead us in a song of invitation. Father, once again, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for how good you are to rescue us. God, we rejoice in our salvation. And God, I pray that even now as we, we hear the hard truth of hell, God, that you would give us joy over our salvation, that we rejoice in what you have done for us. And God, let that move us to a sense of urgency, knowing the alternative, to go and preach and live the good news for the sake of those who do not yet know it. God, embolden and send us out. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.